0: Welcome to the Indie Comics section. Join us as we take you through the pages of some of the best stories and art available in comics. We'll talk to creators, hear about their inspiration and creative process, and then we'll read their comic and discuss it together. We hope you'll join us on this journey into some incredible comics and find some new favorites along the way. Welcome to Indie Comics. Today... We are going to the chapel and we're... Gonna na, 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 read comment. <laughs> what is that, Jeff? You're just humming along. <laughs> yeah, because you that was basically... not support. That was that... not the kind of support I asked for when I, I decided was... we were going to do this five whole seconds ago. That is support
1: singing, and I never actually said I was going to sing. I said I was going to. I help. am
0: betrayed on all sides. Meanwhile, <laughs> I was I was totally done to harmonizing, and then I just
2: got thrown off. So I just <laughs> got I mean, to by my here. terrible voice.
0: <laughs> In any case, guys, ignore my singing. But we are going to the chapel, and we're going with David. Peppos, who is the coolest and most amazing writer uh david would you like to introduce yourself
1: yeah uh thanks so much for having me i'm david Peppos. i'm the writer of going to the chapel uh spencer and Locke, and spencer and Locke Two over at action lab comics and uh yeah i'm excited to talk with you guys uh about all things uh pop culture
0: wonderful and i am your host maddie
2: and i am jeff
0: I'm Sylvia. Sylvia is new this time. We're super excited to have her. Oh, Hello, yes. Uh, <laughs> another lady addition to the group. I'm pretty pumped about it, guys. We're very, we're very noob me. friendly here. <laughs> <laughs> um, you don't always get uh, wiser with your age on indie comics. I think you just get a little sillier. That's your way of saying I'm too old now. We're all too
2: old, Jeffrey. What's the <laughs> point of being an adult if you can't just do what you want and be silly?
0: That is true. Yeah, that is true. So, David, what is <laughs> what got you into comics? What got you into you know this particular field? Sure.
1: Well, um, I, I've been reading comics uh, as long as I can remember. Uh, I'm a third generation comics fan. My my mother was a comics fan. My grandfather was a comics fan. So I I came into it naturally. Uh, I remember the first books I got. I what got a, a copy of Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, it was Spider-Man yes. versus Venom. It's right before they went on the island. Oh, uh, yes. I got. Uh, an issue of Silver Surfer, where it was uh, Adam Warlock versus Drax the Destroyer and the Soul Gem. Didn't understand anything that was going on, but it was <laughs> awesome. Uh, Captain America and uh, Jack Frost fighting an ice serpent. Uh, uh in the arctic trying to find d-man that's That'll do great it. yep
2: <laughs> uh and a
1: in a issue of the incredible hulk uh where a uh, hulk pours uh radioactive waste on the abomination's face uh that was a lot for a four-year-old A little <laughs> savage. Um, uh and uh yeah and then uh very shortly thereafter i got a copy of uh, infinity war number two and nice. i realized that all these characters lived in the same world and it mm. kind of it blew my mind a bit um and so I've always been uh you know I've always been reading comics uh pretty much as long as I can remember. I've always had kind of different waves of things I've been interested in. Um uh, you know I started off with superheroes and then I got kind of into the Image boom as a teenager. Uh re- then reading stuff uh like Wildstorm, uh Crimson especially, yeah. uh, some early Humberto Ramos and um and then eventually uh you know back into Marvel and in DC with uh, the Ultimates, with Civil War, with 52. Yes. Uh and that kind of culminated uh sort of my ent- uh, introduction to the industry is I wound up interning at DC Comics in college.
0: Yeah, it's a fine so, first job, I guess. Yeah, it was a pretty good, <laughs> it was a pretty well
1: job. I, uh, I worked on books like Final Crisis, Batman <laughs> R.I.P., Green Ugh. Lantern, Secret Origin. And... um I thought at the time I wanted to be an editor. Uh, the problem is that mm. there were no jobs in editorials. The, the recession, and, and so there were no jobs anywhere. Mm. So I, I wound up working uh, first as a newspaper reporter. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I covered crime and politics uh, in, in Western Massachusetts. That
0: is like a very then, superhero origin story kind of job.
1: A little, yeah. I felt very. <laughs> it was, it, I was, uh, you know, my own Clark Kent story. Right, uh, crime I reporter. I uh, I then wound up moving to New York. Uh, I worked in publicity at mm-hmm. CBS and. Um, through it all, I was writing reviews at Newsarama. That was sort of my toehold into the industry for the better part of a decade. Yeah. And I was reading a lot of books, uh, but at the time I wasn't connecting with a lot of them. And so I kind of had that thought in my head that said, if you're so smart, why don't you put your money where your mouth is and write something that <laughs> that you would like? And so that wound up being my first book, uh, Spencer and Locke, which uh, it came out uh, in 2017. Uh, it was What If Calvin and Hobbes Grew Up in Sin City? Mm. and uh, it was nominated for five Ringo Awards, uh, including for Best Series and Best Writer, so it was a heck of a place to start. (laughs) And, um, yeah, we just wrapped up on our sequel, Spencer and Lock 2, The Trade Paperback, came out in August, and uh, since then, uh, I've started on my new series, Going to the Chapel, which is, uh, I've been calling it Die Hard Beats Wedding Crashers. um, That is amazing. (laughs) Thank you. Um, It's about a gang of bank robbers that thinks it'd be easier to rob rich people's weddings than it would be to rob banks, they're going to find out just how wrong they are. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that sounds great. Yeah. What, yeah. Uh, what inspired you to create that particular comic?
1: Sure. Uh, going to the chapel, Uh, it, it, it was based on a true story, but not the story that you, you might imagine. I promise I have not robbed any banks. Or <laughs> um, are you sure? I You're got... not
0: getting an invite to my wedding. That has just been decided.
1: I, uh, I was the best man at a wedding, and mm. I was the world's worst best man. Um, are you? I had to plan a, a bachelor party on the wrong side of the country. And everything that could go wrong did go wrong. <laughs> um the Airbnb was trashed. The uh I thought it'd be cute to rent some inflatable sumo suits for the backyard, <laughs> not Boy. knowing the the backyard was at a forty five degree angle. Oh
2: no. <laughs> oh. I
1: uh some groomsmen bailed at the last second. They decided they didn't want to pay anymore.
2: Wow. Oh my
1: gosh. Uh, and uh I actually wound up going to the hospital um, uh, right before the bachelor party with the kidney stone. So oh I actually gosh. could go to this bachelor party that I planned. So um, as I was sitting there recovering on painkillers, I thought to myself, God, that bachelor party was cursed. Um, but thankfully, thank God, it didn't happen during the wedding. And then I thought to myself, but what if it did? And that was sort of the the, the initial kernel of going to the chapel. Um, You know, our story follows Emily Anderson, who is a wealthy bride grappling with cold feet. But before she can say anything, her wedding is interrupted by a group of bank robbers known as the Bad Elvis Gang. And what starts off as a simple uh, smash and grab turns into a full blown hostage situation um, because Emily is looking for an out. Uh, She is looking to escape walking down the aisle by any means necessary, (laughs) even if it means teaming up with a gang of bank robbers. Um, I thought to myself, um, the worst thing that could happen at this wedding would be if my friend's father-in-law hired some leg breakers to (laughs) uh, persuade him to call off the wedding. And then I realized, no, the worst thing would be if uh, if the bride just got cold feet. Yeah. Uh, There's no wedding at all. I felt like yeah, I felt like that was a, a like a really deep emotional journey that you could really kind of sink your teeth into, and uh, I felt like there was something a little universal about the concept. Uh, I feel like everybody's gone to a wedding, and everybody knows what dysfunctional family looks like for sure. <laughs> and um, and yeah, you know, I, I felt like uh, you know trying a romantic comedy was a, a fun genre that doesn't get a lot of play in the direct market. To be honest, it gets kind of a bad name in pop culture. And, uh, you know, it really just, the, the, as, the, more I thought about the concept, the more it really checked off a lot of boxes of things I wanted to address following my first book. Uh, my first book had a really tight, intimate cast. So I wanted to do something really sprawling with my, with my next book. We have 15, uh, speaking roles, all trapped in one chapel. Oh. Um, and <laughs> you know, I wanted to have a, you know, a very diverse, uh, you know, uh, cast with a lot of representation yeah. so that's something that i think we've really done a good job with with this series as well um but i just wanted to find at the end of the day i wanted to add some risk to everything and um, you know writing a, a rom-com in a industry that's pr- uh, propped on capes and tights you don't get yeah. more risky than that <laughs> and um thankfully the reaction to the book has been uh, uh really stellar so uh you know we're really excited about the series and uh We're really excited for readers to find out why love is the ultimate hostage
0: situation. (laughs) That is the best tagline I have ever heard. Who would not want to read this? Thank you. What made you decide to do it as, because it's a four issue miniseries. Why, (laughs) why this format? And, you know, would you consider doing more? Is it very much a contained story? Like, why did you choose this?
1: So, um, you know, a lot of it is pragmatic. Mm -hmm. Um, I... You know, in indie comics, a lot of times you're self-financing and you're self-directing uh, a lot of your series. Uh, it's also that, you know, I don't want to keep readers in the hook any longer than they have to be. <laughs> if, if I can if I can tell the story in four issues, I'd prefer to. And I know publishers feel the same way. Um, attrition is like gravity. Uh, you know, your second issue, it's, it's, it's almost unheard of for your second issue to have better sales than your first. And so, um, you know, I want to make sure that I minimize risk to my publisher. So I always try to kind of keep the story as tight as possible. Also, just, um, you know, I think for a reading experience, it means you have to cut a lot of fat, which is great. You have kind of a lean, propulsive storyline because you don't have any pages to waste. Um, That said, you know, I always try to write modularly. And by that, I mean, I, uh, you know, I tend to write a standalone arc uh, just Mm -hmm. to make sure that the demand is there. But if, they're, if people really like the series and they want more stories uh, with Emily or the Bad Elvis gang, um, I have a couple of sequel ideas in my back pocket. Um, never say never. If the father of the bride can pull off a part two, who says we can't?
0: Uh, <laughs> yes. That's true. I mean, you heard it here on Indie Comics. Everybody go read this. Everybody talk about it. Tweet about it. Facebook about it if you're still on Facebook. Uh, Instagram. Do. Uh, Pinterest. Whatever you kids are doing these days. <laughs> yeah. Snapchat yeah Snapchat about it. Go Reddit. check it out <laughs> what um What would you say is your favorite thing about this comic?
1: My favorite thing about this comic is um I think we're we're able to kind of juggle this really stylish action with with this wonderful sense of humor. uh you know, we have a lot of super weird characters in this book. Uh, I've said it's like if Reservoir dogs had a baby with arrested development and then chose <laughs> to bring that baby to a wedding yeah. Uh, <laughs> Imagine if the Blue family was caught in a hostage situation. And that's <laughs> kind of what you're gonna get in this book. Um all the characters are super fun to write. You know, we've got uh we've got a pyromaniac uh uh flower girl, we've got the uh grizzled Vietnam vet grandmother, uh we've got oh uh, some very dysfunctional parents, uh we've got kind of this uh douchebag uh, uh best man who uh that's my be culpa uh, for my <laughs> own sins uh, as a best man. And, um, you know, you throw all these, all these characters on their own are super weird and super fun to follow, but then when you kind of force them to stay in one spot for an extended period of time, there's a unique bit of comedy that goes into that. Um, I think anybody who's ever been at a family gathering that's felt more like a hostage situation (laughs) can relate to this, is that the longer you're forced to be with these people that you know so intimately, but, um the masks of normalcy start to slip. Hmm. And that's when people start becoming real yeah. and really weird. And so I thought that was a, a really fun bit of comedy to explore. And watching the, the line between the, sort of these bank robbers and their hostages start to blur, hmm. that's a fun dynamic to explore, I think.
0: That's wonderful. All right. Uh, so far, what we're seeing is one great and crazily dynamic story that's going on in the chapel. But why, what I want to look at is some. what are some foundations behind
1: this chapel, namely, <laughs> with you, who are your artistic and or literary
0: influences that helped eventually it's, create this crazy chapel that we are going to be reading?
1: That's a great question. Nicely, um, nicely directed. I... You know, there are certain things that I, I bring to all of my all of my books. Um there are certain creators that just they, they they influence my voice in particular. Um, you know, classic Frank Miller. I love the way that he experiments with page layouts and mm-hmm. timing and pacing. Um Devin Grayson for her work on Batman Gotham Knights. Um it's very, very heartfelt and very engaging. Uh I love Jeff Johns' metaphor work. Um, yes. uh, and and I think uh while I know Green Lantern deservedly gets a lot of props, actually I think his work on JSA uh is sort of my favorite Mm. um he did an issue with uh damage and liberty bell that is sort of a a top five desert reading comic for me um without spoiling too much uh liberty bell's motto is uh uh, since she has the liberty bell on her chest just because something's cracked or something just because something has a crack in it doesn't mean you have to throw it away Mm. Uh, that's probably my favorite moral in any comic yeah um uh, you know, Dan Slott with his, uh, with his concept work. Um, I, I actually, uh, did a, uh, a writing class that Dan Slott taught, uh, years ago. And so, uh, I'm, I'm very honored to always say that I've learned how characterization works from Dan. Wow. And so, um, those are the, 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 creators I kind of bring with me from project to project. Uh, uh, but you know, for this particular book, uh, you know, a lot of influences, you know, include Die Hard, uh, you know, classic Quentin Tarantino, uh, Dog Day Afternoon is one of my favorite crime movies, um, which is about sort of the world's worst bank robbery and kind of the hostage situation that unfolds from there. Um, (laughs) And then kind of my dark horse pick, which most people don't know this movie, um, Death at a Funeral. Oh, oh yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, Chris Rock did a remake in case anyone uh, remembers that. I really love the original British version. Yeah. That was a huge influence on this book. If you it, Just based on the fact that you guys all know what I'm talking about, <laughs> you will love going to the You're with the chapel. right
0: crowd. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
1: For those who haven't seen Death at a Funeral, it's the story about the world's worst funeral.
0: (laughs) Um, It's
1: about how uh, a father is is being laid to rest and how his super dysfunctional family is screwing up the funeral every single way, all the way down to uh, Peter Dinklage crashing the funeral. It turns out he was the uh, deceased's lover, and he has (laughs) the photos to prove it, and he says, if you don't pay me $10,000, I'm going to show these photos to your mother. Um, So that turns into sort of a failed kidnapping slash almost murder attempt, but not really. Um, It's, it's a wild story. Um, I love that movie so much that uh, I thought doing something like that in a comic form would be really funny. Um, So yeah, we're kind of, you know, we're throwing in the best of both worlds. Uh, visually, we talked a lot about, um, you know, a lot of Southwestern stories, kind of trying to give a Western vibe to this series. We talked about uh, Breaking Bad. We talked about Hell or High Water. Uh, we talked about a lot of Edgar Wright movies like Baby Driver, which had just come out around the time that uh, artist Gavin Guidry and I were working on the series. And, um, you know, there's all sorts of uh, of influences that you can see pop in there, uh, you know, down to, down to sort of, uh, you know, my own uh, r- romantic history. And uh, I feel like, um, you know, or or even down to uh, Grandma Harriet being based on my own Grandma Helen. Um, I was going to ask if
0: any of the characters were based on uh, real people.
1: Yeah. So if I get struck by lightning between now and when the trade drops, you know what happened. Uh, (laughs) uh, It turns out, you know, maybe Grandma Helen didn't like the book. Uh, But yeah, (laughs) I I tend to take inspiration from any source that I can. And it's almost like uh, 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 Neil Gaiman described it as magpie brain. Uh, where, you know, magpies, they build their nests out of whatever they can find around them. Uh, and that's kind of how I build my stories. It's very, it's very much a patchwork thing that you then throw into a blender and you kind of, you see what comes out. Um, I have a, a strong sense of sort of, I see the influences as they pop up, but it's always interesting, uh, for readers to find influences that I didn't even know I had.
0: That's That's awesome. awesome. Uh And you you talked a lot about like kind of films and their inspiration there. Can you talk a little bit about the art here? Um, You worked with Gavin and I'm so sorry if I mispronounce his name. Goodry? Yeah, Gavin
1: Gavin Guidry. And and, and, and don't be upset because I spent uh, nine months mispronouncing his name uh, up until like last week. So um, (laughs) I apologize, Gavin. Um, yeah, I'm working with a, just a really top shelf creative team on this book. I, I feel like that's always been the secret to my success is work with an art team that makes you look so good. It doesn't matter what you write. Um, and, uh, yeah, Gavin's terrific. I found him following his, uh, he did a creator owned one shot on Comicsology called the Night Driver. And I was really impressed with the way that he was able to sh- shift gears so quickly between this like kind of very stylized, almost oppressive violence. Uh, to these very funny, expressive scenes, um, you know uh, I, I remember in particular, there was a page of uh, a guy who was very clearly a douchebag uh, <laughs> uh, flossing his teeth at somebody 's table or somebody 's uh, desk ugh. and somebody behind him was was gearing up to choke him to death <laughs> and, uh, i I remember that page sort of being a, a a highlight for me where I said, "Oh, this guy could draw this book um, but that said, as you know we were sort of moving forward with the project, it occurred to me. Uh, this is a book with a female lead, um, and and I w- would feel embarrassed if our creative team was entirely men. <laughs> uh, so I was really fortunate uh, that uh, Liz Kramer uh, joined our book as a colorist. Uh, I had been introduced to Liz at C2E2 uh, the previous year by uh, Mara Jane Carpenter who uh, was the colorist on Jade Street Protection Services. And I was so taken by Liz's uh, webcomic Threader. Um, She had had many comics printed out for it, and the color work was just really beautiful. And uh, at my time at DC Comics, that was the thing that they really instilled in me the most, was uh, good colors can uh, elevate any art, but bad colors will sink anybody. So um, Liz has such a wonderful sense of texture that she brings to the series. Uh, so I always really enjoy uh, working with her. In fact, I have her—we're we're, we're working on uh, on another book together right now. Um, and then Ariana Mayer, um, who you know, letterers are always the unsung heroes of a project. They're always uh, uh, by by and large they're usually the most experienced member of any team. Um, and uh, she was really terrific in making sure. That, uh, you know, we sort of dotted our I's and crossed our T's in the production uh, sense of things. Um, and, you know, she was just really critical in, in making all of our one-liners bounce. Um, I feel like letters are such an important part of the chain. They're in a lot of ways akin to uh, what a film editor is in film. Uh, they say, you know, there's three movies that you make. There's the movie you write, the movie you shoot, and the movie you edit together. Uh, for comics, it's the, uh, it's the comic you write, the comic that's drawn, and then the comic that's lettered. Um, and so there are a lot of, uh, uh, of, you know, story beats that uh, we actually, you know, wound up changing just in the lettering stage. Um, and it's a real testament to how smooth both Gavin and and Ariana are together that um, you wouldn't know it if you saw it. Um, but, I, you know, I know it. <laughs> that's,
0: that's and awesome. we've
1: got, you know, a real murderous row of cover talent involved in the book. Um, We've got, uh, you know, uh, uh, Gavin is doing our C covers. Uh, Mon House, our variant artist from Spencer and Locke, joined us for our B covers. And then, uh, you know... Lisa Sterl from Long Lost did our first issue main cover. She's terrific. Sweeney Boo from Marvel Action Captain Marvel is doing our second issue cover. I love that cover so much. Uh, We just announced uh, uh, Emily Pearson from The Wilds is doing our issue three cover. And then we've got some amazing uh, convention uh, uh, covers coming out. Uh, We had uh, MJ Erickson from The Thrilling Adventure Hour did our San Diego Comic-Con cover. Liz Kramer is actually doing our Rose City wraparound cover, which is beautiful. Uh, we just got to do our comic con cover that i can't announce the name for yet, but she is uh terrific uh and yeah and we've got we've got a a, a show stopping fourth and final issue cover that uh we'll name some names uh probably later this month but um it it is poster worthy that's how that's how how good this cover looks and um it's just a testament i think to 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 the creative team's work uh because every time that I approach somebody to ask if they wanted to do a cover. Uh, all of these artists were so enthusiastic about it. They said, we love this concept. We love this book. We would love to do a cover for you. And I think that's why we were able to sort of swing outside of our weight class so much in terms of of the talent on this book is um, everybody really believed in the project from the jump. And uh, I think it's because we're serving a market that doesn't usually get served by the direct market. And I think so far that's that's, that's paying off in spades for us.
0: Well, and that's the cool thing about indie comics, right, is that it can be original and different and kind of off yeah. the wall. And you can get people really excited about something because of those reasons. And clearly yeah. you've built something amazing that's attracting all of this talent and attracting hopefully many, many, many readers. That's I what am. I would
1: hope. I I, I, uh, I, think you're absolutely right. I think, um, you know, there's, there's a symbiosis between uh, <laughs> uh, indie and creator-owned comics and, uh, you know, the big two and the licensed books. And, sure. uh, you know, I feel like, Indie comics are where all the innovation comes from. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the big two is where all the spotlight comes
0: from. <laughs> and
1: so, you know, uh, creators will sort of, you know, they'll go, they'll, they'll swing that pendulum uh, depending on where they are in their career. Uh, but I feel like the thing, the great thing about creator owned comics is uh, there's no obligation for me to be coming out with two books a month. Yeah. Uh, and there's, I don't have to compete with 80 years of history. And so I'm mm-hmm. able to sort of, you know, every story can stand on their own merits. Every issue can kind of have its own set of consequences that we don't have to sort of do a sleight of hand to reverse.
0: Yeah. And,
1: (laughs) um, and, 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 you know, there's the only expectations that I have to fulfill are sort of, you know, standard narrative practices. (laughs) And so there's something very liberating about it. Um, I love superhero books. I love Marvel and DC. Like I said, I got my start reading those books and I got my, my, my career started at, at the big two. Um, but there's something about creator owned that it's so personal and it's so fulfilling mm-hmm. that uh, I, you know, even, you know, if the big two ever came calling, I'm sure I wouldn't say no, <laughs> but it would be, it'd be hard to imagine not doing creator owned work uh, uh, just to, you know, keep my muscles going.
2: You mentioned that uh, doing a rom- rom-com uh, in the middle of an industry that's kind of boosted up by by tights and capes is not conventional um did you do you think that there is an overlap in audience appeal though like clearly you've taken a very action-oriented um uh angle on the story is that kind of where you'd like the overlap to to uh converge or is that are you writing for a more specific audience
1: well, you know, I think a, a little calm A and a little calm B. I, <laughs> I, I felt like you know my dare for this book was to convince to to write a rom com that I thought guys would read,
2: um, and <laughs>
1: okay, and because because there 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 are a lot of you know there are a lot of guys out there who you know I think in general rom coms get a bad rap. Um, I think there are a lot of guys who feel like their masculinity is being threatened. I think there are a lot of women who feel like they can't be taken seriously mm. uh, if they like rom coms. Um, and I remember uh, a r you know we had, you know, we announced this book at a convention, uh, at C2E2, uh, earlier in the year. And so as I was doing the convention circuit to sort of figure out what our pitch really was, uh, I was really surprised that when I would ask, Hey, do you like rom-coms? Uh, a lot of people would kind of turn up their nose. Mm. And, um, and so it kind of felt like a dare to me at that point. I said, <laughs> okay. Like, you think you don't like rom-coms. I'm going to write one that I know you're going to love. Um, I feel like a lot of my favorite stories have that same romantic foundation. Yeah. Um, you've got Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. You've got About Great Time. Movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Even sort of more dated things like 500 Days of Summer or yep. Chasing Amy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those were all, when those movies came out, they were all really important to me. Yeah. And so I feel like romance is just as flexible of a genre as sci-fi, as Completely. superheroes, as crime. And um, the only difference is, is that nobody, very few people are trying it. Mm-hmm. And so that's always usually, that's something if nobody's doing it, that means I really want to pursue it. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um,
1: and, you know, I, I find that if I don't, if I'm not doing an evil evil stunt jump on this book, something's it's, it's something's <laughs> not right. Um, I, that's always been my approach because I feel like, uh, the riskier the book, the more people will take a look at it just mm. to see if you crash and burn. <laughs> yeah. And, um, so I, you know, I feel like so on the one hand, you know, I feel like, yeah, I'm trying to sort of win over, win over people. But on the other hand, I feel like there's a, there's a contingent of readers out there or potential readers. I should say Mm -hmm. people who are, who aren't into the superhero Mm fair, uh, who aren't into the, to to the high fantasy or the, the sci-fi spectacle. And, um, that's always the thing that I, I want to do with my books. I always try to, my goal is to make them as accessible as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes I will lead with, a, a, what I consider to be a familiar touchstone. Do you like Calvin and Hobbes? Uh, do you like mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino? Do you like Veronica Mars? Yes. Do you like Star Wars? <laughs> um, you know, anytime that I've got a book, I try to say like, what's the familiar touchstone that mm-hmm. you say? I like that. And I can say, well, let me tell you what this book has in common. Um, I'm not out to preach to the choir. I feel like that's that's boring. And not only that, I don't think it helps the industry. Mm. Uh, I want to be a 30-year man. I want to be like Grant Morrison. I want to be like mm. Jeff Johns. I want to be like Dan Slott. The only way to do that, is, the only way to sustain our ecos- ecosystem to have 30 years in this business yeah. is if we bring in new readers. And yeah. so I'm Absolutely. not looking to preach the to, 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 to I'm not here to, 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 to preach to the choir. I want converts. Yeah. And so that's sort of, what I'm always trying to do with all of my books. um, I want it to be a book that you could just hand somebody who's never read a comic before Mm -hmm. and they get it. Um, Well, and that's
0: the nice thing about these limited series too, is they're snackable. You can really sit down, read the whole thing, have an experience and be changed by it in an hour or two hours. So that,
2: that leads into a really good question though, which is what do you want people to take away from it? Mm. How do you, how do you want people to feel once they've, once they've gotten through your series?
1: Sure. Well, you know, at the end of the day, I, you know, the answer I'm going to give you is broader probably than what you'd like, because <laughs> at the end of the day, my you know, what I want is, is, is immaterial. I, I really, I want, I want readers to feel something. Um, apathy is really the only bad answer. Uh, for me, I feel like if they're if they feel nothing, we didn't do something right um uh, you know i of course, I would prefer readers to 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 enjoy the book and you know in the case in the case of Spencer and Locke, we wanted to make people cry uh in a good way, but uh in going to the chapel uh you know I would love it if they cried, and I think there are a few <laughs> moments that 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 are are certainly heartfelt, but I really want to make them laugh I feel mm-hmm. like that's the way that you connect with people is you either make them laugh or you make them cry. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I feel like if they see, if they see anything of themselves in the book, then that's, that's always very exciting. I feel like so often pop culture treats romance as a final destination rather Mm -hmm. than as an ongoing journey. Mm
0: -hmm. And, uh,
1: you know, those, those journeys, you know, sometimes, sometimes they don't end the way you think. Sometimes there are swerves, sometimes bank robbers take over your wedding. (laughs) And, uh, I feel like, uh, that's the thing I'm, I'm most excited about with this story is we we get to explore these very complicated feelings that you have, uh, you know, just because you love somebody doesn't always mean you're sure.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so uh, I feel like watching that that exploration and watching somebody kind of grapple with that fear of commitment. But it's not just fear of commitment. It's fear of change. Yeah. And I think that's something that a lot of people can empathize with. I think it's very easy to overanalyze and self-sabotage when you're at the cusp of a life-changing moment, and it makes perfect sense. Um, it's an intimidating thing to say till death do you part. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't thought that thing through and it doesn't seem a little intimidating to you, well, you're you're you know, you're you you've got a better sense of faith than I do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and I, I feel like, but that's what it is at the end of the day. Anytime you really want to change your life it's ultimately a leap of faith. And I think, uh, watching Emily kind of grapple with that. Um, I think that's something a lot of people can relate to whether they, whether, whether or not they've been a bride and, um, hopefully, hopefully, um, hopefully that'll be, that, that that'll be kind of something that, that readers take away from reading our series.
0: That's awesome. Have you, um, I'm guessing you're not married then. I'm not. Are you, I've come are close. You, oh. <laughs> I'm sorry or congratulations no, no, no. either way no. it's probably for the I, best right
1: um you know i i i i've been in relationships where um you know i thought i either thought this would be happening soon yeah. um or i thought i would i would have to be pulling the trigger on this soon and uh you know both of those both of those relationships i uh you know i wasn't ready yeah um you know i i think there's something to be said for sometimes you gotta kind of let yourself bake in the oven a little bit uh Absolutely. Before you become a, a fully formed human being <laughs> um, know, you know, I know my parents met in their twenties, but uh that is a very different generation yes, and um you know, I think every relationship that I've been in though has helped me grow
2: uh in,
1: in a big way and and um i always I'm always grateful for my relationships, uh both the ones that were really good and, and wholesome and still didn't work out uh and the ones that were kind of like a train wreck hindenburg hindenburg right. um, <laughs> i you I always look everything. at it as um I wouldn't be here. Yeah, if I hadn't been there, for
0: you wouldn't have so many great gags for your comic. Yeah,
1: exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, but you know, at the end of the day, I, I always I have to thank my friend for inviting me to be the best man at his wedding. I know I did a terrible job at it, but at least I got a book out of it.
0: Well, now you have to just you know hope that you don't get robbed at your wedding someday, because like this yeah, might yeah, not well, be the best karma. I don't know.
1: That's <laughs> why I'm gonna do. A, yeah, I'm gonna have to get married in an undisclosed location. Right? And, There's gonna be, uh, have to be some know,
0: protections involved. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And know, knowing the way that knowing, knowing the way my family is, uh, you know, it's going to be a silent wedding, uh, because, uh, <laughs> if I asked my family to ever air out their grievances, they probably would never stop. Uh, so it sounds yes. a
0: really uh, beautiful elopement in your future.
1: <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe there'll be Elvis's in my future after all.
0: <laughs> hey, okay, there you go. It all will come together. <laughs>
1: yep. All right. It's actually been wonderful hearing about all the, uh, success behind the entire, uh, process of writing it now but now we're going to come to a little part where which pretty much every writer comes to fear the writer's block how do you handle it in particular yeah um there are a couple ways that i that i that i handle it um you know for me oftentimes um my process is, is is a little maybe a little different than most, and that I I spend a lot of time focusing in, on what's called uh, on the treatment phase or, or the outline phase, as, as some people might call it. Uh, plotting has always been sort of that's always the toughest part for me. Once I have a plot laid out, um, the rest of it the, the rest of it's kind of fun. It's a little bit more imp- improvisational. I get to see I know where how where the story is going. I just have to figure out how to do it, how to pace it. Um, so there are a number of ways that I go about doing it. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes it's just as easy as, you know, hopping in the shower and just sort of figuring out kind of what pops into your head. Cold or hot. uh, (laughs) Cold or hot. Usually hot. Usually hot. (laughs) Uh, Uh, I, um, you know, other times I'll listen to a song that I think kind of has the energy that, that I'm trying to convey for, for a particular script. And I'll just listen to that song on repeat and just let the images kind of hit me as they, as they come. Uh, other times, you know, I, I you know, I've a, a lot of trusted friends that I've 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 developed, you know, uh, in, in my days as a reviewer, and so ultimately, I, I trust their judgment. So I I will often ping somebody, you know, f- some friends of mine on Facebook, uh, you know, people like Troy Brownfield, George Marston, Pierce Leiden, uh, and say, "Hey, uh, what are you like does this seem dumb to you? Or does this <laughs> seem too far afield? Um, or I'm 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 hitting a wall with this particular thing. Uh, what do you think?" And um, oftentimes they will give me some pretty good advice in in that regard. Um, And then, you know, beyond that, you know, sometimes it's something to be said for unplugging a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, There's something to be said for, you know, kind of uh, replenishing the tanks. Uh, You know, if I, you know, Oftentimes, if I see a really good movie or a really good TV show or or I read a really good comic, um, that'll kind of help kickstart some things. I'll be inspired, I I, I guess. I'll say, well, okay, there is good art in the world. I can maybe (laughs) produce some good art, too. Um, And, you know, sometimes there's something to be said for just, you know, taking a step back, uh, you know, shifting gears a little bit. Um, you know, I, uh, you know, I'm sort of in, in the position now where I wasn't a few years ago where I'm juggling multiple projects at once. Yeah. And so sometimes there's something to be said for, if there's something that's not working out, just put a pin on it and, you know, give it a day or two and come back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sort of, you know, the last, the last ditch scenario is, um, just, just write. It doesn't matter how crappy it is. Mm-hmm. Just write. Um, I've Gotta had days through it.
2: I just,
1: <laughs> this happens, this helps me a lot more in the scripting stage necessarily than the outlining stage. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I will just, you know, I will just write and, and, and I'll just be like, okay, I know this general thing needs to happen. Just write some stuff. Uh, you know, sometimes none of it survives. (laughs) Sometimes a line or two survives. Sometimes I realize, oh, this scene would be better served elsewhere in the book. And so I kind of copy and paste it and I sort of sand off the edges to make sure it fits. Um, but, uh, yeah. I feel like for me, it's less writer's block and more of, I, I, I'm never the fastest writer out there. I, I don't measure twice and cut once. I tend to measure mm-hmm. 10 times, uh, before I cut. And so, um, uh, for me, it's always never having enough time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you're juggling, when you're juggling, uh, promoting books and doing signings and doing conventions, and then sure. you, you know, you owe scripts on one project and then somebody asks you to do an outline. Um, <laughs> That is sort of you know, and then I you know I still I freelance uh, you know I I have a dog at, at, at home <laughs> uh, you know uh, who who requires lots of walks what and vet visits uh, a little Karen Terrier a little Toto dog oh um, uh, you know and and poor Holly for anyone who's who's been following my Twitter feed you know she's a geriatric dog she's a Aww. cancer survivor wow. um, so she you know she's got a lot of medical stuff that needs taken care of um, and so you know sometimes you know there's never enough hours in the day. Yeah. And you just have to kind of tell yourself, like, that's the beauty of creator owned is <laughs> it'll happen when it happens. And nobody's sort of putting a gun to your head to put out a book in this particular time frame. So, um, yeah, you know, uh, every day is sort of every day I get up and every day I write and every day I still don't feel like I've done enough. <laughs> and uh, that's OK. There's always tomorrow.
0: Absolutely. So you are obviously completely incredible. You have gotten great reviews for your previous books. Uh, There's already a lot of really awesome stuff coming out about this one. Um, To humble everyone else on their journey, (laughs) one of the questions that we always ask in indie comics um, is, and it was actually suggested by one of our creators quite a while ago, is what is the worst review you've ever gotten? Oh, man. (laughs) Can be something that was funny, something that was devastating, something you learned from.
1: So there was one review that I think was intended to be bad, but I didn't take <laughs> it that way. There was one guy who um, tried to compare Spencer and Locke volume one. He, 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 he said it's like kindergarten level Alan Moore, to <sighs> which I said, you, you just compared me to Alan Moore. Like, right. I don't think you know. Alan Moore, <laughs> uh, like, uh, thank you. Yeah, I was like, I'm getting that on a T-shirt. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's like a really like backhanded insult in the way that it's basically a great compliment. Yeah, it's, it's a complice
1: assault. Um, and, uh, you know, but I've had, I've had a few people, um, uh, you know, I tend to, you know, anybody who tells you that they don't remember the really bad reviews is, is lying either to yeah. you or themselves. And for me, I always, I, I, I consider it fuel. Um, Absolutely. you know, I'm not going to be the guy who goes out and, and starts hunting down reviewers. I've, I've been a reviewer. <laughs> it's not fun when that happens. Uh, and sometimes creators don't quite get how off-putting that might be. Um, you know, I, I, I vent to my friends like any normal person yeah. and then I and then I lock it away and I, I, I do not put it on the internet. But um <laughs> I, I, I always I always considered it as motivation. Yeah. Um it motivates me to keep going. I remember we had one uh mean review very early on for Spencer and Locke hmm. uh saying, Who exactly is the audience for this? And that made me push that book really hard, so when we were nominated for five Ringo Awards, I thought this is who the audience is for, <laughs> uh, you know, success the is sort of, kind of the, the, the greatest revenge.
0: Exactly.
1: Um, you know, I had somebody who, who, who referred to our book. I had somebody refer to one of my books as a dumpster fire uh, because he just, he was so outraged at uh, you know, how dare we besmirch the legacy of Calvin and Hobbes. And uh, again, I always find this way of, of looking at insults as compliments that yeah. I, I, that it was sort of, I never really, I I don't, I mean, I don't think I'm I'm ever in danger of replacing Bill Watterson. I don't think that there's a chance that I could besmirch the man's legacy. He's a he's a he's a pioneer and a trailblazer and an innovator. And uh, you know, our book was always intended as a love letter uh, yeah. to, to to his iconic work. And so uh even somebody saying that, you know, how how dare you besmirch Bill Watterson, um, I feel like that's more credit than we deserve. Right. (laughs) Um, So, uh, so, yeah, you know, I mean, of course, you know, bad reviews, they suck. And, um, you know, sometimes they happen. And the thing is, you know, you always have to look at, at, consider the source. If, Mm -hmm. um, you know, if the, if the review is done in bad faith, you're going to figure it out pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, And, you know, just like not all books are, re- are created equal. Uh, you know, and I've been, I've seen this, not all reviews are created equal. And, um, so sometimes you just say, all right, that's their read. And you know, it is what it is. Don't worry about it. Um, you know, it, it's the reviews that, you know, getting a negative review where they've really thought it through. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that I think those are really valuable as a creator. And I, I, uh, I because I feel like if somebody can back up their points and really explain why a book did or did not work for them, that's kind of what helps you grow a yeah. bit as a creator. Um I feel like even even in our most negative reviews for Spencer and Locke, um I remember somebody saying that you know um our first volume uh you know didn't have a lot of diversity and representation in it. And At the time, that was something that we had discussed because Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure we didn't veer into any uh, stereotypes uh, unintentionally. But I knew that, okay, you know, the train's already on the tracks for this book. Uh, There's not a whole lot I can do to change it at this juncture. Mm -hmm. But I know for future volumes and future stories that I work on, this is something that I want to make sure that I include. And so, you know, I felt like we did a good job at that with Spencer and Locke, too. And I think we did a really good job doing it in Chapel. Um, so I think there's something to learn even from your worst critics. Um, you know, but I think at the end of the day, most creators, you know, if your worst critic is yourself, uh, <laughs> It's often no, true. No, nothing a reviewer can say can, that can yeah. really bring you down too much.
0: Well, I love your positive attitude and just the way of kind of taking something positive from each experience and trying to learn from it. I, that's why I love this question is, you yeah. know, we kind of ask it as a joke in a way, but it also, you learn so much from how people look at those negative pieces and, and what you can take from it. Well, I think right. it's helpful to laugh a
2: little too. Like, yeah. <laughs> yes, I've gotten bad reviews, but they've heard of me. Right, exactly. Yeah. They were reviews. <laughs> exactly.
1: Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, That's and look, awesome. it, the thing is about any creative industry, especially comics, you'll have to get a thick skin.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I've, you know, I've pitched books at cons and had people get like combative at me. Oh my gosh. Um, it it sucks, you know, it happens, but at the same time, consider it it's the law of I averages. Um, <laughs> you know, if you if you've got a wide enough uh sample size, you will inevitably have a, a couple people who don't like what you're doing. And um, so I always consider it, you know, as long as as long as I'm still, you know, in the win column, (laughs) um, I feel good about it. And I feel like even if I wind up being in the loss column, uh, you know, I want to learn from it uh, just so I don't wind up being the loss column again.
0: (laughs) Well, you are in our win column and we are super excited that you took the time to talk with us. Thank you so much. What are we uh, what can we see from you next? Obviously, this comic's coming out. Um, What's the rollout looking like for that?
1: Sure. So, um, you know, uh, we're rolling out, going to the chapel. Uh, Issue one just dropped last week and uh, issue two will be coming out in October. um, uh, I believe shortly after Baltimore Comic Con.
2: Um,
1: I'm working on my uh, upcoming sci-fi heist uh, book with Top Cow called Grand Theft Astro. Um, I'm still uh, in the scripting phase for that. Uh, Artist Jordi Perez is wrapping up his commitments on Queen of Bad Dreams.
2: So we're excited
1: to kind of dive in uh, working more on that. Uh, i 've got a fantasy pitch that uh, uh, we 're looking to find a, a home for that we 've had a couple of interested parties so i 'm hoping that works out and um, yeah, just you know a few pitches uh, that i 'm shopping around, a few outlines that some publishers have asked, uh, and you know just a few really exciting conversations with some publishers that you know i 've always wanted to work with. And so, um, you know, a lot of things are up in the air, um, as, as winds up happening in comics. Uh, (laughs) but that's the, that's the great thing about creator owned is, you know, you can kind of take things a little bit at your own pace. Uh, at the end of the day, I feel like your reputation is the only thing you can bring with you from book to book. Hmm. And the best thing is that, uh, reputation doesn't come on a timetable. So, um. As long as the books come out in a way that I can sleep at night, do um, <laughs> you have okay any time to sleep
0: bit. at night? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Um, as long as I feel, as long as I feel good trying to sell a book to you, if it's if it's of that quality, then I don't mind taking a little bit of extra time on it.
0: That's awesome. And how can we find you? Are you on the internet? Sure. Yeah, no you, you, can find,
1: you, you can find you can find me personally on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, it's Pepos D. It's my last it's my last name and first initial. You can also sign up for my new newsletter, Pep Talks. Uh, yes. at slash Pep News. Uh, you can also follow Going to the Chapel on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Go to the Chapel. It's just one word, all spelled out. And uh, Spencer and Locke also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at you guessed it, Spencer <laughs> and Locke. All one word, spelled out.
0: Awesome. And where can everybody buy going to the chapel at your local comic book shop? Yep,
1: Anywhere comics are sold. Uh, you can, uh, in fact, you can, uh, if your comic shop has run out of issue one, ask them to reorder it for you. You can yes. also pre-order issues two and three uh, with the code um, for issue two. It's AUG for August uh, 19, 14, 83 and 84. And uh, issue three, you can pre-order with the code SEP for September uh, 19, 13, 67, 68, and 69.
0: And he did all that from memory, folks. That is impressive. (laughs) Um, And all of this information will be in in the article down below and in our um, codes below. So you'll see everything there. I love that your newsletter is called Pep Talk. That is amazing. Very clever. I like a good pun. Um, Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. You are incredible. We can't wait to read it. Um, I hope that everybody runs to your local comic book shop. order it, pre-order it, put it on your poll list. Again, if issue one's out, tell them to order it for you because they can do that. They'd be happy to do that. Um, and it will get you more amazing content like this. So thank you all for listening. Check out our other podcasts on iTunes and all podcast apps. And check out our website, thegrandgeekgathering.com for articles, videos, and more. You can stay updated on our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we stream on Twitch. The intro is provided by Cranston, and you can buy going to the chapel at Anywhere comics are sold, you can get it online. I really encourage you to go to your local shop, uh, figure out where uh, there's a local comic book shop next to you, um, and check out this amazing, amazing creator and all of your fantastic books. Um, And also, please like, review, subscribe. Let us know if you like our podcast. Uh, Let us know if you think Sylvia is amazing. She just joined. I think she's amazing. I'm very excited to have her. Um, Please (laughs) let us know what you think. Give us some stars. Any amount of stars, please. So far, it's just Tyler's mom. It's really hard for us. He's please. not even on it anymore. <laughs> so thank you all so much for listening, and come and join the gathering. Have a great week, and G. You guys, let's all go to the chapel together. <laughs> Read some comics.